Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Today is a definite blessing to me. It's not often that I get to sit and be ministered to uh, by a a true uh, preacher, pastor, servant of God, someone who I I, I know on on good source uh, really, really loves the Lord. How many of y'all know everybody talking about Jesus ain't going to heaven? How many of y'all know there's going to be lots of preachers in hell? It just is what it is. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name. And in your name cast out devils, did many wonderful works. These are miracle workers, Apostle Bobo, Prophet Johnson, and, and you know, Evangelist Mary Jones Simmons, uh, Elijah. At the Church of God in Christ on Sunday morning by the creek, in Jesus' name for all people, amen. You know, if, you're, if your church name, I, I learned something after we named this church what we named it, and I believe it was by God, but once we had to start lettering things, I thought, you know how many letters are in Abundant Life Christian Fellowship? Lord, have mercy. We should have just called this church. Could have saved money on letterhead. Um, but we, we, we've got a blessing here today, um, so much so. Many of you know the... the uh, the admiration and respect that I have for my sister, who God has always had uh, by my side, helping to raise me, to take care of me, still raising me in this church, um, making sure that everything gets done right. Our special guests this morning actually um, got to know Scott and Dina Mills uh, when they were in a tiny little hamlet village. Do, do they call it a city? Town of Steamboat Rock, Iowa. Population 209. She grew up watching Hee Haw. Y'all got to forgive her. Um, but uh, there, there they, they met this wonderful couple who actually served as their pastor. And had my sister convinced that the greatest Christians in the world could only be found in Steamboat Rock, Iowa, and that that church was a, was a church of uh, perfection with no problem, and everybody loved it. Pastor and his wife are laughing now. She's like, really? Uh, isn't it good? I, I love what I hear from some of the members here, guys. When, when they don't know anything about the inner workings, when they don't know, when they're not gossips and they're not high-maintenance church, when they just love God and, and, and they just come to worship God and to serve God and they don't get involved in, in the drama and they just think, well, there's just no drama at this church. Newsflash. You got people, you got issues. But I, but I thank God for the time uh, that, that you guys ministered to my family there and, and for the work that you're doing now. Many of you know that uh, we are a missions-minded church, and we started this church to be missions-minded and, and to fulfill the great commission of uh, preaching the gospel to every creature on the earth, and we can't go everywhere. So we decided to link arms and partner with different groups. And you see their banners uh, across the back, newsletters, 
in the rack, and I hope that you will get those and pray for our partners in ministry. And I am going to get out of the way now and let God speak to us uh, through one of our partners in ministry, uh, one, one of the people uh, that we know for sure is out there doing a good work. And I tell y'all all the time, when you give money to Abundant Life, you're not just giving uh, money here. You're, you're, you're giving money. Uh, you're going to hear a little bit about the ministry. You're giving money that goes every month to uh, missionaries and pastors and ministers around the globe, whether, whether it's our 13 churches in Liberia, West Africa, uh, our leper colony in India. Um, we're excited because remember this. If you don't get this, uh, if you don't get anything else, get this. If God is your father and God is their father, then you are brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want you to, the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. I know for some of you it's not your custom, but, but the Bible says that we ought to show love one to another. So if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet this morning and give a big God bless you welcome to Pastor Steyer as he comes now to share with us what God is doing in his life. It is so, so good to be here this, this morning with you all. I um, just want to introduce my wife, Judy, sitting next to Dina up in front here. What a tremendous partner, been married uh, going on 42 years now. So, uh, and uh, we'll see how the Lord continues to use us. Uh, just turned 66 in February and not looking to retire anytime soon. Uh, of course, the Bible doesn't say anything about retirement now, does it? Um, maybe just slow down just a tad. Put the brakes on just a bit. Um, yes, we are so grateful to be here. Um, Alan and Judy Steyer with Barnabas International. Uh, we have been working with Barnabas International for about 10 years now. You were one of the first churches to pick us up as a supporting church. So we are so grateful for you. We just thank you so much for that. And... Uh, we have been blessed uh, beyond measure by, by those who personally support us, those who, per, those who pray for us uh, regularly. Um, I just appreciate, I think it's Elder Jimmy, just, just mentioning that during your fast time that you prayed for us. You don't know what that does for us to know that. Um, you know, our world today is pretty tough. Uh, COVID had done quite a number on our ministry, particularly the travel side of that, because we used to travel uh, between domestic travel and international travel. We would travel nearly 50% of the year away from our home. And we used to live in North Dakota. <laughs> you can believe that. Pastor talked about cold. Uh, yeah, um, but we moved to Delaware now. We live in Delaware now where our uh, second daughter and her family live. And uh, so you can pray for us as we adjust to the East Coast, adjust to a new area, adjust to a new church and, and all of that. But I want to share with you Barnabas International is a pastoral care and shepherding ministry to missionaries around the world, global servants that have 
given of themselves to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world, to plant churches, to, to teach in schools, to do medical work around the world. And there are about a hundred or so of us on staff with Barnabas International. Our headquarters is in southern Wisconsin. And we personally travel mostly to the country of Japan. Uh, my wife and I served in Japan for about seven years back in the 80s. And then from 90 to 2012, I was a pastor in three different churches, one of which was Steamboat Rock, Iowa, uh, where we were pleased to meet Dina and Scott uh, Mills there as well. And so um, what we do is come alongside those who are in the trenches, those who are preaching the gospel. We just completed uh, four sessions called Staying Resilient online with groups of missionaries in Japan that for one reason or another have, have challenging things happening. One of the most challenging things, and you'll want to remember this, for single missionaries, how lonely it would be if you're locked down, can't leave your apartment really that much, um, and you get lonely. Yeah, you have texting and phone calls and all of those kinds of things, but that person to person, it's so important. That's why we desire more than anything to start traveling again back to Japan. We, we desire to do that. Um, right now, the country is having some of the highest um, cases of COVID that they've had during this entire pandemic due to the Omicron virus, but as we know, the variant, as we know, it goes up quickly and hopefully will come down quickly. Um, so they are gradually opening the borders so that people can come in. There have been missionaries who have raised their entire support. They have been waiting. They're all primed and ready to go. They've been waiting for a year, a year and a half to go to Japan, to share the gospel, to learn the language, to to share Jesus and plant churches, but they can't get there because the borders are, are closed. We go on a tourist visa, uh, and others go on other kinds of religious worker visas and so forth, but um, the tourist visas probably won't be allowed until maybe, at least maybe summertime, late summer, maybe fall. We're looking to go in, in the fall uh, there. But um, so anyway, yeah. So we do a lot of work on the screen. And whereas, as my wife likes to say, maybe five years ago, that would be very difficult. I mean, you had Skype and all, but Zoom has really raised the bar technologically for us to communicate with people across the world. And of course, you got to get up at certain times. Or <laughs> in Japan, we're 13 or 14 hours difference, time zone. They're, they're ahead of us that many hours. And so we plan those things and put those things together. But, but God has been gracious, and he has allowed us to do these kinds of things, even though we haven't been able to be in person with the people there. So thank you again for, for your, your prayers and, and encouragement. This morning I wanted to share uh, from God's word, and as I was considering what to, what to share, um, uh, 
I felt just kind of led to bring a message based on Psalm 77. You've done a lot of psalm singing and praising God and, and lifting his name up. I really appreciate the, the worship team and, and what they led us in this morning. In a moment, I'll share a bit from this psalm, but let me share, first of all, a couple of experiences from my life. Maybe get to know me a little bit and, uh, and why I, I, I selected this particular theme and, and psalm. Um, in my teenage years, uh, let's say about 14 years old or so, I lived on a farm. Grew up on a farm, loved the farm. We had a nice, gray, beautiful German shepherd that we raised from a pup. And there was an, we had another dog on, on the farm and, and uh, loved that, that dog, played with that dog. Uh, beautiful dog. And uh, one day, my uh, younger, youngest brother... Uh, He's mentally challenged, so we had to kind of watch out for him, you know, on the farm so he wouldn't wander off and all of those kinds of things. But um, one day, he kind of walked up to where Rex, my, our dog, was eating his supper next to the dog dish. He walked up to him just kind of, you know, unbeknownst to what's going on, and Rex got a little bit nervous. All he did was simply clasp, clomp his his, his mouth on my brother Dan's shoulder, didn't bite him, nothing like that, didn't even hardly growl at him. Dan got a little excited. <laughs> and guess who saw this all happening? Mom, from the kitchen window. There, there she was. Well, next thing you know, a decision had to be made. And Rex was to be given away to a farmer somewhere down the road. At 14 years old, that's tough for a kid. And when the farmer came with his pickup truck and loaded Rex into the, into the truck, I just ran into the house, put my face in a pillow, and wept. One of those experiences of loss that you have. Another experience, fast forward, a number of years, my wife and I were married. We were in Japan ministering, language school in a local church and uh, serving the Lord there. We get a telephone call from Seattle, Washington, where my wife grew up. It was her parents. Now, back in the day, it was very expensive to call overseas, right? It's not like you can <laughs> just do that without some cost. So we had not received any communication that way um, from her parents, but... They called, and the news was that her father had lung cancer, diagnosed with lung cancer. And I'm scratching my head going, what's the deal? Never smoked a day in his life. Tremendous Christian ministry. People would walk into the church, and they would think he was the pastor because he was so gregarious and welcoming and, and encouraging to people. They'd think he was the pastor. But... We uh, took an early home assignment, went back to live in Seattle to be near them. Thirteen months after that phone call, he went to be with the Lord. And uh, just shy of his, what, 58th birthday. My daughter, Jen, was about four at the time, and she sat in the hospital bed before he died singing songs like, Jesus Loves Me. 
This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And uh, his last words before he did die was, praise the Lord. Last words out of his mouth. Loss. Grief. Other losses. Struggled with an arthritic problem for the last 30-plus years. Had cancer when I was 35. I don't tell you these things to, to elicit any sympathy from you, but just to say that, that life happens, right? Amen. We know that. Your pastor knows that in a very real way. We all know that. While we were in Japan, once again, loss, we had our oldest daughter trying to get pregnant with more children um, for a variety of reasons, I suppose, part of which is cultural stress and challenge there on the mission field. We had four miscarriages during that, those years. We have two other children, praise the Lord. Now we have seven <laughs> children, <laughs> four in glory <laughs> and three here on earth. But we know that loss happens from a child's loss of a toy to the loss of a pet to the loss of a job to the issues with one's health to profound and deep sense of loss because of the death of a loved one. Everyone has experienced loss and pain to one degree or another. And maybe you have your own challenges right now that you are experiencing. It's not an easy thing to go through. And this pandemic has, has proven that. It's not an easy thing to go through. We, as I said, we talk to a lot of missionaries who have experienced varying degrees of sorrow and loss. People have not been able to go back to their home countries uh, during this time for a funeral of their mother or father because they're not sure if they could get back into the country. Children in college here in the U.S., not able to go back to their, their, their adopted country to visit their family because of the restrictions. Global workers have lost some support because of churches that have been having a tough time. As I said, Judy and I would love to travel to Japan, but because of restrictions by the government, that's not permitted, and, and so it goes. Everyone has their own pandemic story of loss and grief. But when we talk about grief and sorrow, there's a concept or, or a word that, that is very biblical that often people leave out when they discuss loss, and that's the word lament. Lament. What is lament? Lament is uh, often been defined as, as a loud cry or howl or passionate expression of grief. Certainly when my parents gave my pet dog away, I had that passionate experience of grief as I cried. However, in the Bible, lament is more than sorrow or talking about sadness. It's, it's more than walking through the stages of grief. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament doesn't try to answer the pain or loss. It doesn't seek to just get over it. No, lament, lament gives permission for the suffering person, you and me, to, to wrestle with the sorrow instead of prematurely just dismissing it. Because you can be sure it'll come out in other ways if you don't work with it. 
Someone has called lament the minor key language for suffering. You know, there's major keys and minor keys. This is a minor key language of suffering. The practice of lament, the kind that's biblical, honest, redemptive, is not natural for us. You see, lament is really a prayer. It's a statement of faith. It's, 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 it's an honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promises of God's goodness. Kind of stand in that uncomfortable middle of those things. And of the 150 psalms that uh, we have in our Bibles, about one-third of them really are lament psalms in one way or another. If you search in a concordance for the word lament, you come up with a number of instances, particularly in the prophets. Jeremiah in particular, and he even wrote a book called Lamentations. And if there's an entire book of the Bible called describing or dealing with lament, then you know it's a pretty important topic for the Lord. Biblical lament is rooted in what we believe. It's a prayer loaded with theology. Christians affirm that the world is broken. Yes, we know. Sinful, broken world. But God is still faithful. God is still good. God is still loving. God is still compassionate. And so lament stands in that gap between pain and promise. You see, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. There are different types of lament in the Psalms, most of which are, are personal laments that, that, that people express, David mostly, of course. But there are also community laments, like the Book of Lamentations, or repentant laments, like David, after his indiscretion and tryst with Bathsheba came before the Lord in Psalm 51 as a repentant lament. There are also what's called imprecatory laments where an inv individual or group expresses outrage or, or strong desire for justice. And there are really four key elements in this pattern of lament in the Psalms. First of all, there's that, that address to God. Hey, God, are you paying attention to me? Are you looking at me? Are you seeing what's going on? Do you even hear me? The next is the complaint, kind of laying it out there. The next is the ask. Okay, God, this is what's laid out there. I'm calling on you. This is what's laid out there, but it's okay now. What are you going to do about it kind of a thing? But the last one is an expression of trust, an expression of praise. I'm going to read a lament for you this morning, Psalm 77. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to Open them to Psalm 77. There the psalmist Asaph. So it's not only David, but others wrote laments as well. Asaph says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my untiring hands, and I would, be, I would not be comforted. I remembered you. God, and I groaned, I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? 
Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The mountains poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path through the sea. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people by the hand of Moses and Aaron. I want us to see lament at work in this psalm as the psalmist cries out to God. I want us to see that even in the midst of this struggle, even in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his grief, the psalmist still prays. He's still praying. So the first thing to pull out of this, I believe, in the first six verses is pray your struggles. Pray your struggles. The one in pain calls out to get God's attention. Grief is not tame. Lament is is not a simplistic formula. Indeed, lament is the song you sing because you believe one day God will answer and restore. Lament invites us to pray through our struggle with a life for a life that is far from perfect, right? The psalmist is honest. He's authentic. He's raw. It's okay to pray your struggles. More than flowery words. The Father wants an honest heart. A totally honest heart. The psalmist cries aloud because he's experiencing this day of trouble we don't know exactly what it is, but he's in pain. His, his hand is stretched out in prayer, but he says his soul refuses to be comforted. You ever been in that much pain? You ever had that much sorrow that it reached to the, to the very depth of your soul? I sometimes have to not look at the news happening right now in the world. It just, it, it hurts. Our brothers and sisters, as Pastor said, if they're believers in Ukraine, they're our brothers and sisters right now. They're brothers and sisters in Russia, too. And I pray that they're praying that this is short-lived. They're lamenting. They're struggling. They're praying their struggles. There's a lot of feeling expressed here. Emotions are important to express. They can't be bottled up inside, but need to be shared with a caring listener. Here the feelings of the psalmist are shared with his God. He's troubled that he can't even speak. Verse 6 says he's seeking to remember the good days of the past, but he's finding it hard to do. When we come up against the challenges of life, 
the hard things that enter our lives, it's okay to lean hard into God and to cry out to him. And we'll be looking at this very shortly, but remember Jesus on the cross and his lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that lament eventually led to, it is finished. It is done. The work's been done. The resurrection's right around the corner, right? Pray your struggles. Lay them out before the loving Father. He does hear, and while he may not always answer in the way that we would prefer, keep praying. Secondly, pray your questions. Pray your questions, verses 7 to 9. We don't have to be afraid of questions that may come up in our hearts when grief has us by the throat. You know, in verses 7 to 9, the psalmist asks a number of pointed questions there. But notice the questions the psalmist asks God. I want you to notice that these questions, as honest as they are, also point to something the psalmist can remember and affirm about God and his goodness. Even though these questions are not to be answered literally, they're kind of rhetorical questions, right? But they do have answers in other parts of Scripture. For example, the first couple of ones say, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? He will, he will show his favor because Psalm 5.12 says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Another question. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? No. Psalm 90.89.1 says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. Has his promises failed for all time? No. 2 Corinthians 120 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, namely Jesus. Has God forgotten to be merciful? No. Psalm 112.4 says, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Finally, has he in anger shut up his compassion? No. Psalm 103 8 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You see, God is not afraid of the questions. He can handle the questions. His shoulders are big enough. We, however, sometimes have a hard time with questions that may come our way, but we don't have to be afraid of them either. Often they are asked in sorrow and grief, and that's okay. Keep asking, even as you keep praying your questions. Well, thirdly, prayer turns us around. Prayer turns us around, if you will. Verses 10 through 15. Lament is a prayer that leads through personal sorrow and difficult questions into truth that anchors our soul. You see, the entire psalm takes a shift in verse 10 with a very simple word, then. Then, he says, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Referring to the right hand of God is noting the expression of God's power for his people, his strength. God's deeds, wonders, work, and mighty deeds are likewise great things that he has done to save and preserve his people. 
remembering that God is our anchor secures our soul. In verse 13, we get to a very different rhetorical question than the previous ones a little bit earlier. For there, it's in uh, verse 13, it says, what God is great like our God? And the, re- the answer really is, nobody, none. There is only one that is great. It makes the lament full of grace as we turn from honest questions to confident trust. Based upon what God has proven in the past, we can, be, we can rest assured that he will continue to be with us in the future, every single day. Again, lament is how we learn to live between those poles of a hard life and God's goodness. It's an opportunity to remind our hearts about God's faithfulness in the past, especially when the immediate events of life are overwhelmingly negative. While we're still in pain, lament reminds our hearts of what we believe to be true so that we can look to those works. We can look to see what God has done. We can look to the past and say, because I believe what you have done back there and you were faithful to this very day, I can take steps of faith forward because you will be faithful tomorrow and the next day and the next day and all of our, our days. Remember, as you pray, keep turning to God. Keep turning to God. Well, the psalm closes with a passage here in verses 16 through 20. Concludes with, I would say, the ultimate moment that defined the people of Israel and their relationship with God, namely the exodus of Egypt. The deliverance of God was seen through the people passing through Remember the waters on dry ground by the power of God, the Red Sea. They could do nothing on their own, right? They were at an impasse. They had the sea before them and Pharaoh's armies marching on them. And all they had was God's faithfulness with them. Only God could come through for for them, and he did. They were delivered by the action and power of their God. For the Christian, the Exodus event, again, looking forward a few weeks, the place where we find ultimate deliverance is the cross of Christ. The cross shows us that God has already proven himself to be for us and not against us. And so we pray the gospel. We enter into that gospel message believing that Jesus is the one that has made that way for us. I remember, it just comes into my mind, Pastor, you mentioned an old song uh, back in the 90s. <clears throat> what was his name? Don, Don Moen. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Yeah, God will make that way as he had in the past, right, for his people. And as he had with Jesus, our Savior. The shed blood of Christ. The cross points us to the greatest injustice, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest reason to lament, yet the greatest outcome for the world. 
the salvation available through that shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it's available to all who will call upon him and believe. The last verse of Psalm 77 is particularly special to myself and to Judy because it reminds us that God is our good shepherd. He says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We try to shepherd people along their lives, giving them tools for resilience and health and encouragement, helping them understand uh, they don't have to burn out for Jesus. <laughs> they can rest. In the New Testament, that good shepherd is Jesus, the one who feeds, cares for, nurtures, sacrifices for his flock. Even though the hard times, even through the hard times, the shepherd is there for the flock, right? He's present with them no matter what. Through some of the harshest conditions of wind and rain or snow or cold or heat, he's caring for them. He's loving them. Ultimately, this is our anchor, the gospel, the love God has for us. Lament can carry us through as we pray the gospel. So, if you're struggling, if there are challenges in your life, don't give God the silent treatment. You ever done that to your spouse? That's not a good thing. <laughs> Just kind of ratchets up the pain <laughs> later on. No. Don't give God the silent treatment. Keep talking to him. Keep the airways open, if you will. Frustration and discouragement might tempt you to stop talking to him. I mean, you don't need Elon Musk to put your Starlink up in the sky to get to God, right? You can talk to him anytime, any place, anywhere. Your pain can instead be a path toward God if you allow lament to be the new language of your grief and sorrow. You know, at the end of the book of Habakkuk, I like that little book, The Prophet. He does something amazing as he concludes his book. In the beginning of the book, he's kind of questioning God, going, what in the world, you know, how come you're letting these invaders come and all this kind of stuff? But by the end of the book, he's trusting in the God who knows what he's doing, even in the midst of the most dire of circumstances. And this is what he says at the end of the book of Habakkuk. He said, though the fig tree should not blossom, no, the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's pretty dire straits, right? We need food. We need basic stuff. Then he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He will make my feet like deers, like the deers. He makes me tread on my high places. The prophet learned that he can trust God, and with that trust comes great joy. Not in his circumstances necessarily, but in God himself. Because we don't trust Jesus for the gifts, I hope. We trust him because he's the giver. We look to the giver. If the music of your life right now feels more like a minor key than a major key, know that he hasn't forsaken you. You can look to him in faith. He's there with you. And if you don't have the words, 
you know, in Romans 8, it talks about the, the Holy Spirit basically praying for us with words too deep that we don't even know, groanings. But if you don't have the words, go to one of the lament psalms and read it out loud. Linger over it. Let it open your heart. Whatever you do, don't stop talking with God. Keep wrestling. Keep struggling. It's our life. Keep embracing the grace of lament. Keep praying to the one who holds you in the very palm of his hand. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for abundant life and for your spirit being with us this morning here. Lord, I don't know a lot of these people. They don't know me, but gracious enough to let me share with them from your word. Thank you, Father, for the richness of your grace, the overflowing abundance of your love, and the invitation to to know you in a deeper way, even in the most difficult challenges that we face. I lift them up to you, Father. I lift Pastor Scott up to you right now. That you would just touch him, continue to anoint him as he pastors this church. Bless the elders, the leaders, everyone involved in service here. Thank you for the tremendous ministry that they have in this community and ask your continued blessing. May you receive all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.